guys, it's Nav here. Hope everyone's having a great week. Tuan and I are super excited to share today's episode with you. In today's episode, we're interviewing a good buddy of ours, Mike Bertuzza. Growing up, Tuan and I used to hoop with and against Mike, and he now currently works for Wasserman Media Group as a senior manager in talent marketing. In this episode, we discuss what life is like working in the business of sports, his experiences working with guys like Norman Powell, and much more. We want to thank Mike for jumping on, and as always, we hope you enjoy. Take care. Welcome to episode 31 of Around the League. It's a beautiful Sunday morning, and we hope everyone's having an awesome Easter weekend with their friends and family. We've got a special one today. Our guest this morning is a good friend of ours. Growing up, we were rivals on the blacktop. He's a three-time Kawasa champion and knows a thing or two about the business of sports. He's a senior manager in talent marketing for Wasserman Media Group, a company that represents the world's best athletes. Athletes like Russell Westbrook, Clay Thompson, Ricky Fowler, and the list goes on and on. Mike, we're excited to have you on, my man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Appreciate it. Happy Easter, man. How are you? Um, how are Happy things up in uh, Toronto right now? Uh, I'd like to say it's another day in paradise, but give it everything that's going on in the world. It's uh, you know, it's we're doing our best up here. That's that's what I'll say. But it's good. All good. You get a chance to watch the madness last night. I did. You know, so I was I was flipping back and forth between the Blazers game and the uh, and the Gonzaga game, and both were. Uh, I mean, well, the Blazers one by 50. So it was heavily focused on Gonzaga, but that was exciting, man. Probably, probably a top three game. I think that I've watched in March Madness. It was incredible. Yeah. That one's probably a little behind the Villanova championship game, but that was yeah, a, yeah. that's a wild game. Um, you were probably voting or rooting for UCLA. I'm assuming. <laughs> so, well, yeah, just given, uh, one of our clients that we represent, Norm, he's a UCLA alum. So I wanted to, uh, to be honest with you, I was just rooting for a good game. I like players from both teams, but uh, it would have been nice to see the upset pulled. Um, but you can't argue with how it finished. I mean, you can't be upset with the way the game finished. That was, that was incredible. Mike, what, so walk us through what you do for Wasserman. Uh, maybe before you do, quickly explain how you got there. Sure. Yeah. So, um, okay. I guess I can start from, well, I'll just, I'll give you guys a little bit of context into kind of who Wasserman is and what they do. And then I'll, I'll walk you through how I got there. So Wasserman is a global sports marketing and athlete representation agency. Uh, we're headquartered in LA, but we have offices kind of worldwide. Um, I think we're up to almost 20 offices. And I work out of our Toronto footprint, uh, our Canadian office. Um, and, uh, you know, Wasserman is very much at the core of its business is it's athlete representation, but it's also much more than that. We represent brands, properties. Uh, we have a, a very big experiential marketing group. Um, and then where I sit is on the, the talent marketing side. So um, I, Basically anything off the court, off the ice, off the field for our team sports athletes, NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, um, I look after. So myself, you know, and a group of us, but um, uh, endorsement deals, partnerships, anything kind of brand building that's athlete focused, we are, we are for the player and we're working for, for the player. Um, how I got there, uh, well, I did my undergrad at Western, University of Western Ontario. And then um, probably probably in my last year, uh, I decided that I wanted to continue on. And I, I wasn't quite sure I wanted to do it. I, I did an undergrad in kinesiology and I thought I wanted to be a chiropractor. I went and did a, an internship with uh, a, a chiropractor that I knew in the area and it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't for me. So I, I went back to school and, and did a master's in sports management, not knowing where, to be honest with you, that would take me. Uh, I always knew in the back of my head that if I wasn't going to be playing basketball, I wanted to stay close to the game somehow. But the industry is so small and so tight that I wasn't sure what I would be doing. And I was kind of willing to just take a chance on, on whatever came my way. So anyways, fast forward 
a year into my master's degree, uh, there was an internship component and my supervisor knew somebody who was working at Wasserman at the time. It was a former student of hers and she said, why don't you reach out, see if they have anything. So I reached out and uh, I got lucky enough to, to take an internship with Wasserman in Canada, which at the time uh, was really golf focused only. So um, again, a little bit of background on Wasserman, headquartered in LA, they acquired a golf uh, business in Canada back in the early to mid 2000s. And um, the Canadian office was was truly only golf focused up until, you know, about five years ago, call it. So my internship was on the golf management side of the business. And I was, uh, I was supporting one of our lead golf agents in uh, his repre representation of their athletes. So, so I did that for about four months. And then I went back, I finished my degree. And uh, after my degree was done, Wasserman called me up and they wanted me back. So I went back to Wasserman. I worked uh, in the golf um, vertical for two years. And then an opportunity came up in the team sports division, which I knew kind of little about because Wasserman uh, never had a team sports presence in Canada ever. It was, again, it was just golf. So um, when that opportunity came up, I flew out to LA and I interviewed for this kind of open spot on the, on the team, on the athlete marketing team. And, uh, and that's what I've been doing for the past almost six years now, well, five years. Five years now. How, how much uh, do you think your master's degree in sports marketing help you um, land that role that you got? Um, with um, yeah, no, I don't. I, th I think it helped tremendously in the sense that it was an avenue for me to get my foot in the door with, with Wasserman via this internship. Um, so in that sense, uh, it helped greatly. I would say maybe the maybe the course material wasn't so much of like, um, not, not that it wasn't a help, but I would say the relationship and just the opportunity to build that relationship through, you know, me doing my work term at Wasserman was kind of what helped. And, and obviously, obviously being a master's student um, and having some, some kind of postgraduate experience is what, is what a lot of the, um, the agencies were looking for at the time. So I think that kind of made me stand out. I hope it did anyways, um, during that process. Yeah. I feel like if you were to talk to any um, sports business student, whether it's undergrad or undergrad or graduate, yeah. you know, I would say if you were to go into a classroom, I'd say over 50% of students would say that they'd want to be an agent or want to represent athletes. Uh, it's a sexy job, right? on yeah. paper and it's something that you know is glorified on tv and and whatever what would you what would you say um are a couple components of the job that people just don't know about or don't understand yeah it's a, it's a good question um it is it's it's on paper and uh it can be a sexy job in real life but behind the scenes it's uh, it's a lot of work um and Gosh, um, there are obviously moments where you, you know, it's like any other job and you have to do things that necessarily you may not want to do um, that may be, you know, below what you think you're capable of doing. But um, at the end of the day, we cater to the players and the athletes and they have very dynamic schedules. So that makes for our schedules being also very dynamic. Um, they're in different time zones. Again, like a lot of the athletes that I work with are on the west coast so um you know they're three hours behind us right so <clears throat> in the evenings and the weekends i find myself um working oftentimes so it's not it's not great for a, a work-life balance so to speak and <clears throat> to me anyways it's funny we joke about this all the time but it's it's no longer work-life balance it's work-life integration and you just have to learn how to like live with that and manage it um but if you think about if you just think about the schedules of the athletes, right? If you want to be, if you want to be an agent, um, again, we on the marketing side of things where I work, uh, we are we work across several athletes, not just kind of one or two or three. Like there are tens or hundreds sometimes that we work across. So um, 
there are, you're always having to shift focus on different sports, which is difficult to do. So mentally that's kind of draining. Um, and then the agents who are actually out there recruiting, I would say, think, just think about, I mean, this last year is an exception, but think about the travel that they have to do to go recruit. Right. And then think about um, the late nights they have to spend watching film for the kids that they can't travel to. And every, and because the, the industry I think is, is small and there's only a, a, certain number of agents and certain number of players they're competing for that talent so it's like <clears throat> that's stressful that can be really stressful for them and uh and in turn stressful for us because uh, obviously we want the agents who are out there recruiting to to bring in great talent so that we can go and do our piece with uh with like the marketing stuff so right yeah. on so on the flip side what do you love about the job like what makes you know we talked about the grind associated with the job, but what yeah. makes it worthwhile? What do you love about it? Man, well, for me, I mean, I'm a sports enthusiast. I've always been passionate about basketball, as, as you guys know, so I'm fortunate to work with our basketball athletes. But what makes it worth it is um, I get to do something, I tr and this is going to sound very cliche, but like I do something different literally every day. And that's, that's no word of a lie because we have such a, a – depth and breadth of like athletes on our roster i could be working one day with an nba player the next day and working with an nhl player the next day and working with an olympian so it's like something i never get bored in my job there's always something for me to do and that's very you know uh liberating in a sense and i'm fortunate um but i would say yeah i mean having those having those times where you know one of your athletes performs at a championship level and wins a championship and you you happen to be close to that person um, that's when you get to reap kind of the benefits and see what your hard work has, has really done because you helped that, that athlete in a sense, get to where they were, maybe not necessarily, you know, I, I wasn't out there training them on the court, but like everything, everything else in their life I was a part of. And, uh, and it's just, it's nice to see success because you know that you were a big part of it, right. Off the court. Um, and holistically you're, you're a part of that success. So that's, that's what makes it worth it. Obviously, you know, we're fortunate enough. We have, we get to attend games uh, all the time, like professional sports events, which is cool. The travel's great. I will say um, it gets tiring after a, a little while, but I, my job, I, I travel depending on kind of where the, the marketing deals take me and which athletes I'm working with at the, at any given time. So I can travel all over the place and that's a big perk. I mean, that's fun. It can be exhausting, but it's fun. And just the people you get to meet along the way, um, especially for me on the marketing side, because, because we're out there talking to, uh, you know, big blue chip brands and other brands that, and you start making these relationships and these connections that are hopefully going to help you down the road. But just, just to know those people is, uh, is great. So yeah, there's a lot of good. There's absolutely a lot of good before I do. No question. Yeah. Mike, uh, COVID has obviously disrupted so many different industries especially sports you can see it you know through the leagues and whatnot so how does that affect your agency how has it affected your job like you said you're traveling you're working you're meeting with people and how has that kind of disrupted your flow and the way that you work and the way that you work with the athletes yeah no it certainly is has offered its challenges for sure i mean i think uh well the travel the travel has been one that, I mean, I haven't been anywhere. I haven't been on a plane since March of 2020. So that is definitely a foreign to me. Um, and there was a period, probably you know, the first three months when last March when everything kind of happened, uh, where everyone was figuring out what to do uh, and how to, um, you know, how to carry on. And then obviously there was a hiatus with sports. So there was, that had affected us um, with respect to, we had to kind of be there for our athletes and, and tell them what was going on and keep them up to date kind of every day. And we were learning too. So everyone was learning together. It was just a very crazy experience to go through. Um, on the marketing side of things, because again, that's, that's kind of our job. Um, that was, that was interesting because you had, you had brands out there who are typically active in the sports space and they, and they're sponsoring athletes and sporting events and whatnot, but, they were peeling back or figuring out how to pivot and um, exist while COVID was happening in the first few months. Um, 
this is again amplified another thing that we went through was the olympics being canceled because we represent a group of olympians and um that was uh something that i had never kind of been through just navigating that um and yeah it was it was challenging for a little bit but again i think uh our agency was very fortunate to be in a position um where we could stay afloat and we um you know we've always been effective at working remotely i would say um just to, again a lot of the time i'm on the road so i'm used to to working remote in that sense so for me it wasn't a huge change it was a little it was a little weird not seeing my colleagues in the office every day but again um there's a very small group of us that work on the athlete marketing side in toronto so most of my colleagues are spread across the us um so i'm working remote with them every day so in that sense for me not a ton changed but it was more than navigating uh <clears throat> excuse me the situation with with athletes and 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 their sponsors and their sponsors figuring out how they can still get value out of an athlete if they're not playing the game right and so that was just uh, a challenge in figuring out how to pivot and address those situations but um i'm glad that i'm glad that that uh is kind of not necessarily in the rear view totally but we're you know there's light at the end of the tunnel there yeah another question i want to ask you is just with regards to the the landscape of being an agent in general i feel like when players are coming out of college um, and entering the NBA, say in their rookie year, there's so much more polished. Um, there's so much more awareness about a player's brand and social media impact and their just overall reach. Um, what challenges are you and your agency sort of facing nowadays representing players that are so in tune with um, their brand? Or is that even a challenge? Uh, good question. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call it a, a challenge. I don't think, um, I think we are fortunate if an athlete likes to lean into their brand because to us, their brand is what makes them them. Right. So that's their differentiating factor. We would never, we would never mute an athlete's voice like that to us is what makes them who they are. So we want to celebrate that. So if an athlete has the wherewithal and the awareness to, to actually be out there and be individual and have their own brand, um, it actually makes our job easier uh, because we can, because we can go out and um, we can go out to the market and we already kind of they already have an awareness of who they are and what they want to be. Oftentimes, um, and again, this is what we like to do, but oftentimes athletes coming to college they don't know what they want to do or they don't know what they want to stand for, be it politically or whatever in their life they don't know what they they are yet so um that's on us to kind of help them and guide them along so when somebody comes out and they have a very clear-cut idea of who they are and what they stand for it actually makes our jobs probably a little bit easier yeah that's a good point i guess this just creates an opportunity to collaborate more intimately with that athlete as well yeah absolutely yeah absolutely that's something that we um we take very seriously and something in athlete marketing now that you must do you you have to understand your clients very intimately and and what they do right and who, and what they stand for because because ultimately that is um that is who they're going to be to the entire world and who they're going to be out there as so um yeah it's important yeah adding on to what nav was saying like you you've been at westerman in this role or within the same vertical for you said five years yeah um how much has changed within those five years like with social media now with guys like Mikey Williams dominating all of social media. Again, he has his own brand in high school. And five years ago, that might have not been a thing or 10 years ago, right? Yeah. When we were younger, we were idolizing the players in the NBA, but now the kids our age in high school are idolizing like their peers. So it's a it's a role reversal and it's a you know crazy thing to see that these kids have a platform to be on Twitter, to be on Instagram, to be on TikTok. So how much do you kind of take that into consideration? Are you guys looking, you know, further out into like the next five years of saying, hey, Mikey Williams might be a huge opportunity for our agency or another guy that, you know, in another sport that has a similar flair or similar impact for his age group? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. It's, it's funny because when I started in the business, Instagram wasn't 
even, I mean, it was, it was definitely a thing, but not to the effect that it is now. Um, and I think uh, on, the, on the marketing side of things anyways, we, it's pretty fundamental in any kind of deals that we do now is that some element of social is, is integrated into that deal, you know? Um, so it's, it's rare that an athlete doesn't have it now. We would never, uh, or we, you know, obviously we encourage them to do what they want to do. So if they don't want to be on social media, they're not, but it's just, it's very rare that you, you find that. Um, I can't speak for the other agents who are out there actually recruiting, but I know for, I know that performance in their sport is, is paramount to an agent and the rest will kind of just come, you know? So yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's changed the landscape of just um, how deals and marketing endorsements and, and those are framed up. Um, for me anyways, I've seen a huge change from five years ago to now, like I said, it's like, you're almost, there are some elements of a contract where you're bonusing on social media, depending on, you know, how that performs, a campaign performs. So um, it's changed in that sense. And uh, I can't, again, I can't speak for the agents, but I think performance in their sport remains kind of paramount. And I don't know if we recruit necessarily on their social media uh, presence, but yeah. But it might bring players, like it might bring um, awareness to a player at a really early age, right? Yeah. So to get them no, on your radar. Definitely. It's not, a, it's, it's not a bad thing. I mean, yeah, it, it helps us for sure when we're out having those conversations because to your point earlier, the reach. Uh, of their audience is larger with, you know, um, of following on social. Um, so it's just, it's just another point for us to kind of, um, to take into consideration, but yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. Well, Hey, before we transit transition into a different topic, like what, what advice would you give to a, um, a young college soon to be grad, um, looking to get into sports marketing, uh, maybe into agency, but you know, obviously there's a bottleneck in the sports business um, market because you know it's very high in demand. What advice would you give to uh, a student that's looking to transition into uh, a role similar? Um, I would say I would say have as many conversations as you can with people in the industry um, and like-minded people, people that are trying to do the same thing as you. It's never bad to uh, to have you know competition or people who want to explore the same kind of industry as you, but I would say set up coffee interviews. If you can set up informational chats. Um, there's, it's funny. There's like a, a, a line between uh, a fine line between uh, being persistent and not, I, I don't want to use annoying cause that's a bad term, but be persistent. If you want to talk to somebody um, definitely try to make that happen and be persistent. Um, that's, yeah, that's probably my number one piece of advice. I mean, it's a relationship business and it's a small industry. So who, you know, it's, it certainly matters. It's not the only thing that matters, but it certainly helps. So I would say set up as many kind of inter informational interviews as you can. And um, that, yeah, that would be my number one piece of advice. Um, yeah, with the, uh, the recent passing of the NBA trade deadline and one of your notable clients uh, being traded away to to Portland. How has that kind of affected your your working relationship with Norman Powell? Does that change anything at all? Or does it still um, it is still kind of status quo just because he's not in Toronto anymore? Does it still affect anything that happens now that he's in Portland? Yeah, uh, nothing changes in terms of representation by Wasserman or by us. So um it's only now that he's in a different market in portland we just you know we have to explore a different market on his behalf and um yeah no nothing nothing changes of course we're going to miss him here in toronto uh he had a lot of valuable partners here in toronto and relationships that he had created over his six years as a raptor um so managing those and hopefully keeping some of those alive, even though he's in Portland, I think he's always going to have a legacy here in Toronto. So now it's getting creative and seeing how we can, um, you know, what we can do to keep that legacy kind of top of mind for people in Toronto, who knows what's going to happen in the off season, if he'll stay in Portland, um, nobody knows yet, but 
<clears throat> in terms of that, our working relationship remains the same. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, again, he was in Tampa. Remember, the Raptors were in Tampa for a year, so I haven't uh, actually seen him in person for over a year, and our relationship remained status quo, to your point. Yeah. Before, uh, before we talk, or let's dig in deeper into Norm, because what a case, what, what a case study for, for any aspiring athlete, you know, a second round draft pick spent six years with one organization and he, with that, like no cliche attached, he, he really went from a boy to a man, um, earned everything that he had with the organization, um, earned his playing time, earned his brand, his UTG brand, and earned a starting spot you know, within the last couple of years with the team. Um, talk about your relationship with Norm and how it blossomed over the years. Sure. Yeah, no, he, um, <clears throat> like you said, he grew up in the Raptors organization. He was very much a byproduct of their system, being a nine to five player, um, second round draft pick, earning every step along the way, nothing given to him um our relationship i mean yeah so he uh obviously we've represented him for a while now and um anything kind of in the toronto market or other markets for that matter but anything marketing wise we we help him do so it started as um you know that relationship and it just being, being in Toronto, we have an advantage. Um, he was one of our only athletes that we represented on the Raptors at the time. DeLon Wright was the other one. Um, but Norm being one of a handful of athletes Wasserman represents in the Canadian market, put him in an advantage in the sense of, he got a lot of client service you know, from us, which we give, we give everybody, but um, he was at an advantage being in the Toronto market and so close to us. So we would you know, often find ourselves at games and seeing him after games going for dinner. Uh, and, and it was just through that kind of relationship. We, we obviously have become close and we're friends. Um, but he meant, he definitely meant a lot to the city and we're, we know we're sad to see him go, but um, yeah, he was, he was, um, he was, he meant a lot, I think, to a lot of people in the Toronto market and just the messages that we've received since he's been traded and the, the sentiment around it. I don't know if you guys would agree, but I would, I would argue that this is, um, I mean, he's more beloved now probably than ever before, which is like almost a strange thing to say, but you never know in a sense what you have until it's gone. I mean, he was really well liked while he was here, but you see the outpouring of affection for him when, he, when he's been traded to Portland. And he was a guy who wanted to stay here. He came out publicly and he said it. He said, I want to be a Raptor. I mean, that's not, that's not insider knowledge. That's nothing. He came out and said, I would love to stay here. So it's like um, unfortunate in that sense that he didn't have an opportunity to, again, this, you know, be a part of that core Raptors kind of young group moving forward. Um, but I'm happy for, I'm happy for his situation in Portland. I think they have a good thing going there. I know I'm going off on a tangent, so please stop me if I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm not answering your question here. No, no, it's all but, good. Um, yeah, I got a lot to say about him. <laughs> what, what were the, the discussions and conversations like leading up to the trade deadline? I know he was in the news. Um, there were rumors about him getting traded because of the disastrous seasons that the Raptors were having. Lowry was on the block. So what were the convers conversations like between like your team and him, uh, was he anticipating a trade and kind of what happened when it all went down? Um, so again, we uh, are like a step removed from it. His contract agent uh, usually handles all of the, the trade conversations and, and whatnot, but um, we, we try not to talk about it, to be honest with you, with him. He doesn't like to, he doesn't like to um, look at, the, the media so much and the rumors around he really uh, I know he says that but it's it's the truth like he doesn't uh, he doesn't focus on that he focuses on what he can control and he was having a career season so um, he was focusing on himself at the time he truly of course I mean through other people you're you're going to hear some of these rumors probably through his family but it's something that like we made a point of not really 
not really addressing until we absolutely had to. And even then we, we didn't see it as it was always a potential situation in our head and, and us as marketing managers, we have to, we have to keep a pulse on it because obviously he has relationships here in Toronto that if you move mid season, what happens to his partners? Like that's obviously a question that we um, kept in the back of our minds. Truthfully, uh, candidly, I, I didn't think he was going to be traded. That's, I had no knowledge of the situation. Again, I'm, so far removed from those conversations i'm not i'm not involved um but again yeah he doesn't uh, he didn't focus on it he was very much laser focused on helping the raptors win so so you know speaking about those relationships that he's been able to build either through his sneaker deal with and one or his commercials with osmos or the ones that he had with godaddy what happens with those now like Obviously, that's going to be tough, especially with Osmos being like a Canadian-based restaurant and then, um, yeah, GoDaddy and whatnot. So how does that affect his kind of portfolio of endorsements and, yeah, what the, the impact of that now he, being moved to Portland? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, listen, I think hopefully, hopefully uh, we can find a way and they can find a way to still activate with Norm um, and, and take advantage of his legacy, as I say, here in Toronto, and just the, the impact that he still has on the city. So, um, you know, maybe a few, maybe something that he had planned in the city transitions to something virtual, you know, to, to kind of give back to his fans. Like, there are just creative solutions that we're working on to figure out how those partners can best capitalize on the trade and kind of what's happening, knowing that, um, the season's more than half kind of finished. Uh, but yeah, we're just, we're working on creative solutions to, to figure out what we can do. Is there any, it, there maybe not, but is there anything that people don't know about Norm that, that you'd love to just sort of share just about him and who he is as a person? She's just a genuine guy. Like I don't, uh, that's it. I mean, he's a good, that's his legacy to me is he's just going to be a, a good person like who, who loved being a good teammate and uh, doing the right thing. He was really involved in the community, which um, oftentimes you see uh, guys who are here for a long time and necessarily don't, uh, you know, feel the the need to do it, which is totally fine. Like you, you're not obligated to be uh, involved in the community, but he took, you know, personal, um, like a personal interest in the community of Toronto. And he donated a lot of money back to Big Brothers Big Sisters Toronto. He ran a charity event every year there, a bowling event. He donated money to four, um, you know, black-owned, black-run charities uh, back in 2020. So he obviously his situation growing up. Um, he didn't come from the easiest upbringing, so he understands kind of what it's like. And he was a, a very much a kind of a byproduct of of that um, that system. And he always felt the need to, if he was in a position to just give back. And um, he, he didn't never, never complained, never, you know, he was always so happy to, to see kids in the community and just make an impact in any way he could. So he, he was one of the good ones. And I, and I mean it when I say it, but he was a genuine, like caring person. And he still is, and he still is. And I'm excited to see what happens in Portland and what he's going to do in Portland for their community, because I'm sure, you know, and we've already talked about it. He wants to make his impact there. Right. I mean, that's just like who, that's who he is as a person. He just wants to help. So that I think is what stood out for me. Um, we don't see that all the time. Certainly other people do it, but um, I was close enough to him that I saw that he really cared about it. Yeah. You know, the tough, the tough part about Norm leaving is because, you know, he arrived on the Raptors scene maybe a year after Masai got hired. And, you know, the Raptors sort of decided that because they're, you know, we call it, we would think it's a big market, but over the large landscape, Toronto is a small, small market team in comparison to other teams in the NBA. So, you know, the Raptors don't have the opportunity to be a free or free agent destination. So they kind of have to take a grassroots approach. They have to start with their 905 and their development. They have to really build players and they do a world-class job in doing that, you know, hence why they never trade draft picks. Norm was sort of that first product 
you know, that, that first Raptor product that started from the ground up. And, you know, one of the, one of the fondest memories I'll have is being at that game five against Indiana, where the Raptors had a reputation of shitting the bed in the playoffs. And, you know, that playoff game where he picked the ball and did the dunk, you know, the Raptors were, they were on the brink of, you know, blowing it up, you know, if they had not got past Indiana in that series. And, you know, he put himself on the map and became a fan favorite in one play. Yep. No, that's an iconic play. Iconic. Um, Yeah. To your point, he, he was uh, very much, and I said this earlier, a byproduct of their uh, development system and they do a world-class job of developing talent. I mean, just look at him, Fred, uh, Pascal, like all of them kind of came from up from the 905 and you're you're seeing that more and more i mean other players are finding success in the g league and um there are other teams around the league i would say are modeling what the raptors do they look at the raptors as like the the gold standard in terms of player development and they're trying to emulate what the raptors do so it speaks volumes to their organization um but uh yeah he was uh he he's had some iconic plays in his in his time i mean he Everyone knows how he performs against the Bucks too. I mean, he, he steps it up in the playoffs, but for one reason or another, he has the, their number you know, every time we play them, which is great to see. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's his nickname, the playoff pal. Playoff yeah, yeah um, he has his game in the playoffs. Yeah. He's always done that, man. And the, the thing with Norm is he's, he, he plays better as a starter, which is funny because it's always the opposite with other guys. You know, they, they usually take advantage of the weaker players off the bench, but he he's always played better with the starters. His numbers are drastically different. And and especially this year where he's been more consistent with COVID and everything, he's been kind of put into the starter position. He's flourished in that in that role. So it's definitely I think they, they try to sell high on him because of how well he's been playing. You know, he, like two weeks before he got traded, dropped 43 against Detroit. He's been averaging like 20 points a game. And one of the knocks on him as a younger player was he couldn't shoot the ball, but now he's shooting like 43, 44% from three. I think he's like top three or top four in the NBA with the, the volume that he's shooting at. Leading so, the league in the, from baseline. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy to see the development that he, yeah, like just from the G league all the way up to being a, you know, contributor on that championship team and now being a 20 point scorer, and he's going to get paid in the offseason. He's going to go to a team that wants him. And he's going to probably have a really big role um, on that team. So, like, what what do you see with him in the future for the next few years as kind of a player and seeing his trajectory? You probably watched him more than anyone I know in terms of footage, watching games, watching him specifically. Like, what do you kind of see as his next step as a player? Yeah, no, uh, all, all good points there. It's fine. I liken him to a DeMar DeRozan for those Raptors fans out there, but DeMar improved every year. And I feel like Norm has done the same with his game. He's, he's improved an aspect of his game year over year, over year, over year. He works his tail off in the summer, um, in the off season. So, and yeah, you know, now if he has, I think he's leading the baseline in, uh, you know, three point percentage this year, his efficiency is insane. He, he's in the, in the 50, 90, 40 club or whatever that, you know, that club is, he's on track to be there. And I think the only other players, if I'm not mistaken, and this was maybe as of two weeks ago, so this could be an outdated stat, but um, are all max players. <laughs> They're all max contract players. So um, again, and this is a conversation for his contract agent to have, so I can't speak to it. But what I think, um, I, I hope he continues to improve and I hope he he finds a role as a, a primary scorer on a team because what I saw, and I hope what you guys saw too, is he thrives in that role. If the onus is on him to score the ball and be aggressive, that's what he's going to do. I mean, as a starter, you know, you had several injuries to, to Fred and to Kyle and to other players, but when those players were out, look what Norm did. And he did it in a way which wasn't selfish, I don't think. And he did it in a way where his efficiency is just, you can't argue with it. It's undeniable. How can you, like, of course, a guy, you're going to want a guy who shoots 55% from the field and 45% from three and like give him every shot, you know, (laughs) but um, I hope, I hope what the next kind of stage in his journey is, 
is he is on a competitive team and he's a top offensive option because I know that's where he thrives the most. Um, his situation in Portland now is interesting with, with Dame and CJ because those guys are two high volume scoring guards, like score first kind of mentality. Um, and I think once they, you know, I've watched all five games that they've played lately. Um, again, I've had to adjust my sleep schedule beyond the East Coast and the, uh, and the Blazers on the West. But I think once they, fig- they, they develop that chemistry and they start to figure out where Norm is going to be on the court in every possession and know where his spots are, um, then he's going to get a lot of open looks as a result of just Dame and CJ creating offense for him right because they can get by almost everyone and um i think he's in i think he's in a good place i think that team portland is is in a place to make some noise in the west this year so again it's going to depend on what happens down the stretch Uh, but if everyone's healthy i don't see why portland can't make a run at it this year they're they're pretty well positioned or they're you know, through one to five, they have, they have solid, really, really solid talent one to five. So I think they can, uh, they can make a run at it. And then the future. um, Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea, but I hope he finds a role where he is, he is the primary, one of the primary options, like a one, two, three type of thing, because I think what we've seen is he thrives in that role. Yeah, absolutely. Norm to me, he's the ultimate student of the game in my mentality or in my opinion, because You can't be a second round draft pick and be as much of an underdog as he was and not just be a workhorse. Like think about, think about the guys this guy got to learn from growing up with the Raptors. He got to learn from Damar. He got to learn from Kyle. He got to learn from Kawhi. That changes your game. And the journey that this guy's on is just a, as a basketball player is, uh, is quite, it's pretty beautiful because now he goes to Portland. He's going to learn from Damon CJ. So he's just going to continue to add to his toolkit. And I think that's going to be a, a contributing factor to his long-term success is just all the guys that he got to be uh, all the guys that he got to learn from in his basketball journey. It's, I don't think anyone has played with as many. Um, he's a true names pro- as him. He's a true professional in the sense that, um, he has always, I mean, whether he's a starter or whether he was, whether he was coming off the bench, um, he never kind of let that affect his game, which is, you know, which is great to see. And uh, maybe, maybe in the earlier part of his career when he wasn't necessarily getting 30 minutes a night, um, he'd still bring that energy and he'd either, he'd do it on the defensive end because he wasn't the primary scoring option. He wasn't looked upon to be a primary scorer. So he had to make his mark one way or the other, and it was on a defensive end. And it's funny because I watch, I've been watching the Blazers games and through the first five games, his defense is like, like it wasn't his rookie season and his sophomore season. So he, he knows that he has to, to show Portland what he's capable of on the defensive end. And I feel like he has a heightened sense of, of that. And I think he had four steals last night and three the night before. So he's getting into passing lanes and he's just more active. And um, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's good to see. Um, but yeah, Nav, he, uh, he's a, he's a true pro man. He's a true pro. Hey, all this norm talk. I want him back. Maybe there's a world where we sign him back in free agency. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would love it. I would love it. I just don't know if that's uh Again, they, uh, the Raptors gave up his, his bird rights, right? Yeah. So he owns his bird rights now. Um, I maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Well, the hard part, the hard part for a Raptor fan is, you know, we're all insecure as whether, whether you want to admit it or not, we're insecure because there's just this, there's this lingering thing of players leaving, right? Of players leaving our organization. We know how beautiful Toronto is and, um, you know, we can't, I bet, you know, we can't speak enough good words about it, but, um, you know, him, Terrence Ross, DeMar, the one thing that all these guys have in common is they flat out said they love the city and they want to stay. And cold-blooded Messiah always just has to get rid of them. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, no, I think he was just kind of a victim of the circumstances because they already signed OG, Freddie, Siakam to huge deals. And yeah. then you're trying to commit to Norman, which probably was un, unrealistic when you think of it long-term. So it might be better for him because now he's, again, he's going to, get 
paid and he's going to be able to, you know, secure a four or five year deal with the, with the team. So it, it just might be better for him in the long run as a player to kind of be um, out of the shadows of those younger guys, the guys that have a, like a bigger uh, responsibility and a role within the team itself. But I guess, you know, Mike, you've, we don't want to hold you too much longer, uh, but quick question. What were your thoughts on the players tribune piece that he um, wrote when he got traded? Like that was such a well-written piece. And just a classy thing to to do at the at the tail end of his career there. Yeah, it was an emotional piece, man, for sure. <clears throat> um, he uh, every you know he really spilled his emotions. Like he was he was out there and he was open with everybody. Um, it was it was emotional for like me to read too. And we're in, in a way, um, it was a true reflection of what he thought of the city and the fans and the relationships he's built here. So um, I hope, you know, people look at that and, uh, and say, wow, like he was, he really loved the city of Toronto because he did, but yeah, no, it was a, it was a great piece. Really good. Really well done. Hey, I'm not letting you go without uh, you talking about one thing. So I think the last time we saw you in person, Mike yeah. was game six. When we uh, when yes. we watched Game Six at Justin's, right, uh -huh. 2009 NBA Finals, uh, we were together when the Raptors won the championship. And for anyone that was in Toronto that night, you know, <laughs> you know, there was, you know, there's millions of people on the street, yeah. uh -huh. and you know, who knows if we'll ever get to a point in society where we can do something like that. But mm -hmm. um, you know, we were at Nathan Phillips Square the day of the parade, and we honestly didn't get to see the bus because we were packed like sardines for like seven hours, but you had the privilege of being on the parade bus. So why don't you walk us through that experience that day? Who were you on the bus with? And if you have a couple um, just funny stories to share, uh, please do. Yeah. Let's hear it. Oh, man. I love reliving this. This is like my favorite memory. And, I, and I've told my wife this before. I said, there, you know, this, this is my, my best memory of all time next after our wedding. <laughs> uh, and even then, I, I think maybe it kind of leapfrogs the wedding in some respects. But uh, no, it was it was a crazy day. Honestly, I had no idea what to expect. I didn't find out I was going to be on the bus until the day before. Uh, no, two days before. It was two days before I found out I was going to be on the bus. Um, obviously, I had never experienced anything like that. We've never been through that. Um, so... Yeah, that day, that day was insane. As you guys know, what was supposed to be, I think, I think it was advertised to us as an hour and 45 minute bus ride from OVO practice facility down the lakeshore up to city hall. Like that was supposed to be an hour and 45 minutes. And it turned out to be, I think six hours is what it. <laughs> um, and that was, I think a large, in large part due to the people in the streets. I mean, there were millions of people and they just, they weren't equipped to, to handle that um gosh so let, okay i guess i can take it from the top i mean we started the day i think at around eight o'clock um we everybody met at the at the practice facility and they had all the buses in the parking lot and um we had some breakfast before just kind of a grab and go breakfast and then they said get on the buses by 8 30 because we want to leave the parking lot essentially by 8 45 was what it was um I don't think we ended up leaving the parking lot until 9.30, probably, you know, how those things go. Um, but uh, my, on my bus, again, I was very fortunate to be in the situation because every player uh, was able to invite whoever they wanted on the bus within, within reason. You know, they can invite a handful of friends and Norm was fortunate enough to extend an invitation to myself and, and my boss um, in Toronto, who also works very closely with Norm. So it was us two and, and him and Norm brought his, his mother down from San Diego. She was on the bus. He had a few nephews um, and his sisters. So it was his family plus his extended family and myself and Drew who's my boss. Um, and that was it really for, for him. And we were, we were on with Danny Green and Chris Boucher. That was our bus. Um, <laughs> so that was fun. And yeah, where do I start? I mean, it was funny because you guys know Norm has his own clothing line and his brand, UTG, Understand the Grind. Um, 
So we got a bunch of merch and we wanted to shoot it out of a t-shirt. We wanted to shoot shirts out of a t-shirt cannon uh, as we're going along in the parade. Like let's shoot UTG gear into the crowd because let's shoot <laughs> so, so back up even more, I had to go find a t-shirt gun, which are not the easiest things to find with two days notice, let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you i almost i almost bought t-shirt guns off of like amazon or ebay or something like that and express shipped them here anyways i ended up finding one i think it was the oshawa generals the ohl team was happy we had a connection there somehow and they lent us their t-shirt gun uh for the parade so shout out to the oshawa generals but um yeah we uh we're we haven't even left we're still in the parking lot of ovo and norm like get the t-shirt cut out i want to start firing there's so many people here because they were like crowding at princess gates and there were so many people kind of around the practice facility and on the bridge there he's like i want to start shooting stuff out so i'm like okay fine so we get the t-shirt gun and he starts firing we haven't even the bus isn't even moving and he's it hasn't even left the parking lot and he's shooting uh, <laughs> out i'm like norm we've only got the select amount of t-shirt we've only got a couple hundred t-shirts here let's save our bullets for when we go so anyways i think we wasted about 60 percent of what we had not wasted but shot 60 percent of what we had just not even moving on the bus and there was six hours ahead of us right so um yeah that was it was honestly just a surreal surreal experience for me i mean growing up as a raptors fan uh basketball obviously was my first passion as you guys as you guys found out the hard way a few times in kwasa um but uh, <laughs> it was it was it was a very surreal experience I, I didn't I honestly didn't think ever in my lifetime that I'd see the Raptors win a championship nor did I think I'd have the privilege of being on the bus and experiencing that was a special parade too because I was six hours long I mean and it was hot it was like really really hot that day I don't know if you guys remember but um yeah just just making our way through the crowds. I mean, I've never experienced anything like it. It was incredible. There were obviously beverages flowing, uh, cigars were lit. It was a, it was a true celebration and nobody knew how to act because it was pretty much everybody's first time. I mean, I, well, Danny was a, a previous champion, but, um, he, had, you know, even Danny said he had never seen anything like it in terms of a parade. So I think people of Toronto can take some pride knowing that they delivered, you know, the energy and one of the best championship parades of all time. Yeah, man. Um, that was truly special. We were at Nathan Phillips square again, like yeah. I think it was like six and a half hours. Um, yeah. no bus in sight, no players in sight. Uh, <laughs> people were fainting. There was like paramedics trying to revive people midday because no one was eating. Obviously people were dehydrated. There was like a gunshot that got fired and like down the street, we all started running. It was, it was havoc. Like we joke about it now. We should have never even attempted to go to Nathan Phillips square. We should have just like put lawn chairs outside of Stefan's condo. And we would have at, at least gotten to see the bus or the people. Um, it was an actual war zone for, yeah. for us. I, I'm, you know what? I, I feel bad for you guys who experienced that, but I was uh, even, even atop the bus. I mean, it was great, but at some point we ran out of we ran out of food because we only packed snacks for an hour and forty five minute bus ride. Right? It was just candy. All we had was candy, um, and we only had we only had a certain amount of, of champagne and, and beer and water. So at one point we ran out of it, and uh, buses were passing. Uh, like pallets of water to us it was again it was a 30 degree day everybody was dehydrated um obviously when you're drinking you're you get more dehydrated so um we were trying to get stuff from other buses and we're just kind of passing along and i and i honestly can't tell you how this happened but we got replenished somehow and i don't know if somebody on the bottom of the bus ran into the lcbo or ran into <laughs> like and you saw when we were going up york street it may have happened but somehow we got replenished and then we ran out again before we even crossed the underpass, like after Maple, after Maple Leaf Square. So it was like between the LCBO and crossing the underpass, we ran out again because that was a two-hour, that was a two-hour ordeal. Um, but yeah, I think I'm trying to think of a good story to tell. I mean, people were everywhere. People were climbing streetlights. That was fun. Uh, I have a lot of good you know, memories and photos and videos that I took. Oh yeah, that's a good story actually. So um, 
of course, you're going to take videos and pictures, you know, being in the top of the bus, which was great. And um, when we got to Nathan Phillips Square, just before, or no, just after the shooting had happened, like the gunshots were fired, um, my phone died. So it was, it was honestly 30 seconds in between gunshot. And then I'm like, okay, you know what? This is going to be on the news. So let me just text Nikki and tell her I'm, I'm okay. Cause I was, she knows that I was going to be in Nathan Phillips square. So I texted her I'm like, I'm like, don't worry. I'm okay. And my phone dies. Right. So she's just like, okay, what's happening. Um, so my phone had died right as we got to Nathan Phillips square and, um, we were probably there for about 45 minutes. They did the whole celebration and whatnot. And then we got bussed back, kind of um, security took us back to the practice facility where we could drop some things off. And then our Wasserman office is in Liberty Village. So we were only a 15 minute walk from the office, 30 minute walk from OVO to our office. Um, as you can imagine on that day, there was just cabs, no cabs anywhere. You couldn't call an Uber, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't get transportation. So I we were figuring out how to get back from OVO, which we got back to OVO around 6.30, call it. I don't know what it was, PM. Trying to figure out how to get back to the office because we had a few things at the office and um, we still had to do work. I mean, we obviously we spent this whole day on the bus, but we had work to do and we had work to do the next morning and we had work to prepare for the next morning. So it was like, as much as we love this celebration, we had to go back to the office to tie up a few loose ends before we went home for the night. And um, we finally, like we start walking. And I have this, I have this t-shirt gun in this massive carrying case that is not uh, light, it's very, very heavy. It's at least a hundred pounds. And I'm like, okay, I have to, I have to walk a half an hour with this, with this t-shirt gun on my shoulder. Um, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, this kind of unmarked cab, rolls up and say, hey, do you, you need a ride? Because we need a ride. Like, yeah, yeah, we need a ride. So we hop in, he takes us back to the office and um, I'm like, can I, you know, I got a receipt as I typically do. Didn't think anything of it, put the receipt in my pocket, walked up to the office, sat at my desk, um, opened my computer and then went to reach in my pocket and realized my phone was not there. And I'm like, oh crap, where's my phone? I just spent the entire day, the best day of my life, essentially on this bus, taking photos and pictures and I've lost my phone and it's dead and it's dead. So I can't call it. So I'm at my desk in my office. I'm like, this is, this is worst case scenario. Like, what do I do? So I went on, um, I went online and I, the find my iPhone kind of, uh, app and I typed in my wife's number as an emergency contact. And I guess that shows up on the phone, whether it has kind of battery or not. Um, and it had obviously fallen out of my pocket into the seat of the cab. So anyways, so I went, I typed in the emergency contact, hoping this uh, cab driver is going to maybe see my phone, find my phone and call it. But then I'm like, you know what, why don't I just call him? So I pull out the receipt and the receipt was like, it was just a piece of paper. And he was basically, <laughs> he was basically an unregistered cab in Toronto. Okay. So, I, I'm like what the company I don't even remember the name of it but it wasn't like a real company so um so now I'm totally screwed I'm like calling around like I think I called the city I'm like hey do you do you know uh have you heard of this cab company they're like no like that's not a registered company I'm like okay now I'm now I'm screwed because there's no way this guy has any obligation to return my phone to me he doesn't feel that so here I am now slipping into severe, I went from like highest of highs to the lowest of lows because I was you know, on the bus celebrating with a team and now I like have no, no phone and no, uh, no pictures or videos or anything to remember it from. So I was like really like sliding into some deep depression there. And then I'm like, well, what do I do? I mean, I, I guess I'm just gonna go home, but okay. So I, so I went home and uh, I walk in the door and obviously my, you know, Nikki had no way of contacting me because I didn't have a phone. So I walk in the door and it's like seven o'clock, 7.30 maybe. And she's like, hey, I just got a call from the cab, from the cab driver. He has your phone and he wants you to call him back and you can go meet him and pick it up. So I paid the guy, I think I paid him a hundred bucks to come from downtown or wherever he was to Etobicoke where I live to drop my phone off to me. I would, I would have paid him anything. I would have paid him anything. <laughs> I'm just like, you know what? Here's a hundred bucks. Uh, thank you for doing that. And he drove it to me and I got my phone back. But that was, 
I literally it was such a swing of emotions. I was, you know, happy, like the happiest of happy you could be, and then so depressed. <laughs> so that was that was it. That was a good memory. Um, but yeah, just overall the day was day was incredible. Yeah, hold on to those picks for life, man. Yeah, yeah, I got a few of them framed up here in the office, so they're not going anywhere. Maybe I'll awesome. turn one into an NFT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well hey mike we won't we won't keep you any longer but uh we appreciate you jumping on that was uh that was a great uh that was a great hour spent yeah wow that was an hour already yeah good to see you man and hope you guys are doing okay you and nikki are gonna right up there likewise well we should get together uh for some golf potentially this summer if you guys are down Uh, absolutely that's the doug ford doug ford's gonna let us golf this summer because he knows I what's for up. a moment there he wasn't for a moment there i don't know if you guys were keeping tabs but golf, they updated the website uh incorrectly and it said golf courses were closed did you see that no that was not devastating though after the announcement and uh for about 45 minutes they had incorrectly updated the website it's like all golf courses are closed so uh and then they changed it they came out and changed it but well yeah so, we'll definitely hit the links um yeah. we'll even go up to your neck of the woods for sure Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Hopefully this was informative to your listeners. Absolutely. I think they'll really enjoy it. And maybe we'll get you back on in the future. Let's do it. Always happy. Always happy to do it.